We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. IB Nation, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. It is sort of a special edition here tonight. We are going to be discussing here soon the pending decision from Texas wide receiver Caleb Smith, guys. This is a kid that not a lot of people know about, if we're being honest. He's a kid that has uh, really flown under the radar on the from a recruiting standpoint. He reminds me of one of those kids that goes to a place like Texas Tech or a program we haven't heard of, an Iowa State. You don't know who he is. You don't really hear about him. And then all of a sudden, two years later, he's a breakout player. And you're like, wow, where'd this kid come from? Or per, even sometimes these kids go to big-time schools like Justin Jefferson, who from LSU was ranked in the 2000s uh, as a recruit coming out of high school. Coming out of high school. So uh, interesting young man, very talented player, guys. And as we kind of wait for him to make his decision, he's supposed to make it at six. But as you all know, very rarely do these kids actually make their decisions on time. So uh, we're going to we're going to kind of just talk a little bit about the backstory and a little bit about him, um, just kind of him as a player. So to begin, Notre Dame had four commitments in the 2003 commitments at wide receiver in the 2023 class. They got obviously Braylon James early. They got Jaden Greathouse. They got Rico Flores. And we're feeling like, okay, you add Ronan Hannafin and you're good to go, right? That's where it looked like it was going to go. Ronan Hannafin obviously ends up uh, ultimately decides to sign with Clemson or commit to Clemson. He's going to end up signing with Clemson. And then Notre Dame was kind of left scrambling a little bit. And they've kind of bro- just kind of dove into the film and went and looked around and talked to the staff, got together. And all of a sudden, lo and behold, they discover a kid named a kid named Dylan Edwards from Kansas who they got involved with and eventually flipped. And instead of recruiting him as a running back, they're kind of recruiting him as a hybrid player. He's kind of part running back, part wide receiver, part slot. And the staff kind of decided that, you know, they wanted a fifth guy if they could get the right guy. And for a while, it seemed like Tayshawn Lyons was going to be that guy. And he's a California standout. And all of a sudden I heard out of nowhere that, he may not be the guy the staff is targeting now. 
So, okay, did some digging and come to find out there's this kid from Texas that I had literally never heard of named Caleb Smith. And I'm going to knock on a lie. I looked at his star rating. I looked at his offer list, had one offer on it, Texas Tech, the school he's committed to. And I said, you can't be serious. Then I watched the film. And, Sean, once I did that, you're like, okay, this is that kid that nobody knows about that goes to college. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, this kid can ball. And it started to make sense. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, you talk to the people down in Texas that cover high school football. They mention him in the same breath as Malik Muhammad somebody that the Irish had on their radar early in the season. And you watch his film and you see, look, I'll be honest. I sent this film to Malik and Malik look, hit me back and was like, Malik Zaire. Just yeah, so people, Malik, you just said Malik Muhammad. I just want to make sure people are. Yeah. Malik Zaire. And he uh, hits me back and says, yo, he kind of has a will Bob." And I said, what? You know, that's dangerous. Like, are you talking <laughs> about Will Fuller? And he's like, yeah. Like, just the way he runs is really easy. It's not – he just flows on the screen. He just floats. And so I was like, okay, I don't want to be too hyperbolic about this kid. I like his film. But I think the value he has, and you guys can go to the importance of this, because I think Notre Dame lacked this this year. A true inside slot receiver. He's used to being motioned across, finding places in the zone, beating man to man, drag routes, slant routes, and not only catching the ball with his hands, but then doing some damage with it after he catches it. I don't know if Notre Dame really has anybody on the roster currently or someone that fits that mold in the 23 class. And I think that's why maybe they went in the direction of this kid instead of waiting mm-hmm. for Sean Lyons. You know, and it goes back to when we talked to Chancey Stuckey when he first arrived 
and he gave his vision for the wide receiver room and what he wanted. And he said he likened it to a starting five on a basketball team. But guys having different roles, but he said at certain positions, he wanted those dogs. Mm -hmm. And that's the one thing I can say about this wide receiver room. The mentality of all of these receivers are to be dominant, which is a really good thing. Because I think most of the time we've seen a lot of passive receivers come into Notre Dame and not so many aggressive guys. But this class, I, I can honestly say, Everybody that's coming in thinks they're, but feels like they're a number one, mm-hmm. or has been a number one for the high school team, and and that's that's a new level for this wide yeah. receiver room, and that's a that's a good feeling for Notre Dame fans that they should have about this young man if he does join the class tonight. And that's the key. We're going to find out here, hopefully, over the next hour. Uh, again, supposed to go at six o'clock, but as we've learned. Uh, <laughs> We, we don't necessarily know that, Vince. Uh, Notre Dame has – we'll find out here if Notre Dame was able to land him or not. But I think the one thing that this this showed is people kind of get wrapped up in star ratings, right? And a lot of people kind of look at it, oh, you got to land star ratings and all this kind of stuff. And Notre Dame's done a lot of that in this class. I mean, every single kid currently committed in the class is ranked as a four-star by at least one recruiting service. And with the exception, I believe, of Ben Minich, I think every kid is ranked at least in the top 250 by at least one service. Because Joe hate Joe Joe Odding is Sam uh, Sam. Oh no, there's two that are not. Preston Zinter was he dropped out. He's not ranked in the top 250 by anyone either. But was at one point in time in the rivals 250. This staff also, as you kind of get late in the process and kids are committed because kids are committing so much earlier now, you get into a situation where you say, okay, can they? So they identify the really good players, the top players, but what is the staff's ability to go out there and find some of the sleepers? And I think they kind of did that because Notre Dame got on Dylan Edwards before he really blew up mm-hmm. as a recruit and was able to get that one done. They got on, you know, some of the other guys. They got on Keon Keeley before he blew up as a recruit. It didn't work out, obviously. They got on Peyton Bowen before he blew up as a recruit. So we look at it and I say, oh, great job evaluating. Of course, it's easy to get a five-star like Peyton Bowen. Well, he wasn't a five-star when they got him. You know, Don Schuler was similar to that. So you've seen a lot of these kids, and I think Caleb Smith is is another example of, you know, obviously we'll have to find out if they were able to close the deal, but he certainly an example of this staff will just look anywhere, everywhere for kids that are just are impact athletes. And that's the biggest thing is, as you watch this kid, he makes plays in the run game. He makes plays in the pass game. He's a dynamic return man, and he comes from a winning program. So it's really impressive to be able to, like, they don't care about the offer list. They don't care about the star ratings. Tayshawn Lyons was blown up as a recruit. They did a good job getting involved in him before he blew up. But then they kind of said, you know what? We kind of like this kid a little bit better. And it, it really is impressive to balance that. Yes, get the impact guys that ever that are the obvious ones, sure. but still have the ability to kind of scour the nation and not be afraid to take a risk on the kid that you like that maybe the rest of the college football world doesn't quite feel the same way you do. Well, there's no doubt. And I, I think that it, it's funny when you're like, you, you told me about this kid today. And I was like, well, you know, I've, I haven't watched this film because as everybody knows, I'm not a recruiting guy. You know, that's Sean and that's Ryan. And those guys are the ones that dig deep and they talk to the guys and they do their thing. And they do a great job. And once 
they're in Notre Dame's class, then I, you know, I'll dive in. Or, or if the guy's on Notre Dame's radar, I'll dive in. You know, that or kind of I thing. ask him to be on a show that we're going to do about a kid. He'll dive in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you sent me his uh, his stuff, and I and I started watching. <laughs> I was actually, it's funny. I was actually sitting uh, monitoring lunch detention today, and I'm watching his highlights, and I was like, dang, like this yeah. kid. They didn't ask him to do anything crazy. His high school team does not ask him to do, you know, anything nuts. They a lot of screens, a lot of you know, and he just gets the ball and he is off to the races, dude. Like it almost looks like everybody else is in slow motion, is what it looks like. It almost looks like the film was adjusted because he is literally running away from defenders. I mean, just running away. And he finds the smallest little crease. So he's got that he's got that right. vision. He's got really good vision where he finds a little crease on a screen or on a now like a now screen and he'll find that little crease because he doesn't they don't have numbers, but they know that he's gonna outrun everybody. And so he finds that little crease and he just goes and he and it was it made me very excited about his big play potential because mm-hmm. like yes, there were times where he would just beat a DB and they would hit him deep, of course. But more often than not, in the plays that I was watching, it was they threw him the ball behind the line of scrimmage, and then he made a play. You know, and when you can do that for your quarterback and for your offense, I mean that's that's exciting. I mean that that is the potential of that is very exciting. And the fact that I did not know who this kid was going into watching his film is like okay, they are doing their due diligence and they're finding these guys who are not necessarily on everybody's radar yeah. this kid can play okay i don't yeah. care what his star rating is I, I did the same thing i looked yeah. him up first i was like three stars. it's always the gut reaction but like always the gut reaction. you turn on the film and it's like this kid is not a three star right. sorry so yeah it was um i enjoyed watching his highlight film i i really enjoyed it this kid has talent no doubt about it what's well, kind of funny you know you, you you see it right i mean there's a commit there's a, a post and i won't pull it up because i don't want to put the person on blast but it's Says in other words, he's he goes. Uh, the, the the comment is, isn't Caleb Smith a mid three, mid high three star player, ranks somewhere in the six hundreds, eight hundreds? In other words, he's a developmental player who needs a redshirt year and another two years of development. So perhaps when he's a senior redshirt junior, he'll potentially contribute as a decent slot receiver. It's like okay, that's exactly the problem that you, you the thing that you should all look to avoid, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Is to not look well, star rating. Okay, well, that means all those other things. Like, look, y'all, in the day, star ratings have a purpose, they're entertainment, they're fun. Sure. But at the end of the day, it's it's about okay, what does the film tell you? And I think that's the thing where you look at a kid like this and say, Well, the, the film tells me this kid's really good. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's what the film tells me. Yeah. And as as we've said before, there's there's plenty of examples. I mean, uh, uh, look. I'll use this one. And, and this is just a most recent example, but I could do this all day. I could use these examples all day. But in 2017, LSU signs a kid by the name of Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson was part of the 2017 class, signed with Northwestern or, or LSU. His other offers were from Northwestern, Tulane, Nickel State, and uh, that's it, LSU. <laughs> and he comes out as a freshman receiver in 2017 and doesn't play a whole lot, right? Then comes out in 2018, and all of a sudden is a true sophomore, 
in 2018, leads the team in catches at 54 catches, 875 yards, and by his third year, he had 111 catches, 1,540 yards, 18 touchdowns, and was uh, combined with Jamar Chase to have one of the best one-two punches I've seen in receiver in a long time. That was just a true junior, and he was ranked way lower, way lower than this kid. And that's the whole point, right? It's like you've got to allow the tape at some point to dictate it. Now, am I saying that this kid is going to be – and he made it official. Caleb Smith has committed to the University of Notre Dame. Um, for all of you wondering about the fist bump that I did last week, this was it. <laughs> this was the fist bump. This is the phone call I got during the show that uh, that let me know that the kid had committed because, Vince, as you know, Sean, and you know, once I looked into this kid's film, I love this kid. I think this kid can flat-out play. So this is a big, big commitment, in my opinion, for Notre Dame. And we'll dive into all the specifics of it. But, again, guys, I think you need to stop focusing on the rankings and, and look at the film. Yeah. And Hell, yeah. This kid can play, Sean. There's no doubt. And going back to what you just said, it heightens my senses about one of the biggest problems across college football and within uh, fan bases. Like, you get so stuck on stars and not understanding what we're seeing from this staff is the recognition of what the roster looked like when they arrived and what it needs to look like when they hoist a trophy. They understand what needs to be done to build this roster up to get to that point. And even though you might not like this from a star standpoint, they know they have a need in that wide receiver room for this type of receiver. Right. So instead of going and getting the same type of receiver that they already have in the class, they're smart enough to go and get a tool that's not in their toolbox. Right. And it might not have four or five stars, but they're going to find a way to make sure that it's part of everything that assembles that national championship team. And that's what it's all about. When you talk about Will Fuller, Will Fuller, even though he was a four star on certain services, he was looked at as someone that was developmental. Am I not? Yeah. Am I missing something? Nope. Did he get run as a freshman? Yep, a little bit. Yeah, a, a little bit. But you he, could argue you should have got more. He should have got more, but he really didn't hit until his sophomore year. And I think this is something that has become problematic across college football, where fans feel like if kids don't come in and immediately make an impact, something's wrong with them. Right. Like if this. Well, you guys talked about that on your show today, right, Sean? Yeah. Like, oh, he's not starting? He's a five-star, he's not starting? Something's wrong. No, this is football. Like, Vince, Vince, you're a coach. It's not easy. Right. It's not easy going to high school. Mm -hmm. Whether it's football, baseball, it's not easy going to college level. The competition is a little bit better, and you have to prove yourself. Right. There are some some kids that are truly blessed that no matter where they go, there are anomalies, and – and they rise to the top. Mm-hmm. The majority of the other players that come into your program, they have to work. They have to get better. They have to learn the game at another level. They have to physically become able to play right. the game. It's a lot of things that they have, have to mature in. They have to learn how to balance school and football and yeah. life. All of this comes into play. And what you have here with Kayla Smith, as much people as much as people might want to say he's only a three-star, what he is is extremely shifty, extremely fast, and he's something that you don't have right on the roster. Absolutely. 
which to me says, look, this coaching staff is not worried about just stacking players that are the same. Brian, we talk about this with um, sometimes we were talking about the Clemson wide receiver room. And they just have the same guys. A bunch <laughs> of highly ranked kids. Highly very ranked highly ranked kids. kids. But they all do the exact same thing. Right. right. So, guys, let's shift a little bit back to Caleb now that, like, the, the specific commitment of Caleb Smith now that it is official. And I did definitely want to finish up that kind of part of, of the conversation. But to, to, to add a little bit more context to the backstory, since we kind of talked about the recruitment and things like that, uh, this was an interesting one. And we'll now talk specifically about how it worked out for Notre Dame. Obviously, we talked about how Notre Dame got on him. And, and so what happened was is he was committed to Texas Tech. And I got word a couple weeks before he visited that this was the kid that they were looking at and they were thinking about shifting to Tayshawn Lyons, which is why we put that one intel piece about how hey, don't be surprised if Notre Dame kind of looks at some other guys and that Tayshawn may not be the guy. This was the kid that they were talking about. This is the only other receiver they really zeroed in on. Mm-hmm. There was a couple other kids they looked at, but this is the kid they shifted to when they discovered him. And Chancey Stuckey knew him. He recruited him a little bit at Baylor, but the kid had a jump as a senior, which is kind of what happened to Will Fuller, Sean, to Malik's point. is Will had a jump as a senior mm-hmm. as a player. And so Will was more known than than Caleb is, but it just he had a jump as a senior. And when they started watching the film, they're like, we really like this kid. And once the need kind of arose and they decided that they were going to take a fifth, because it was always a given that they were going to take a fifth receiver. Mm-hmm. But once they realized that, hey, this is what we're going to do, that's when they went after, you know, Tayshawn Lyons at first. But then even though they were in a good place, and this is what I like about it, even though they were in a good place with Tayshawn Lyons, they kept digging. They kept digging. They kept digging. So uh, they finally realized, like, we really like this kid. And they felt they were in a good position with him. And they were going to convince him to, to come visit. Well, he was committed to Texas Tech. And the kid was very loyal to Texas Tech because they were one of the few schools that were on him from the beginning. And so it took a lot of convincing to even get the kid to visit. Then they had to convince him to decommit from Texas Tech to visit officially. He was thinking about coming up initially. He was just going to say, fine, I'm just going to come up on an unofficial. So that went off to decommit because he didn't want to decommit if he comes to Notre Dame and doesn't love it. But they were eventually able to kind of convince him to do that. And by the, at that point in time, guys, it was kind of a matter of, of when, not if. V- visited for the Clemson game. It went great. He loved it. And he basically told everybody this is where he was going to come. There's two reasons why it took so long for him to make this decision. Number one, he's been in the playoffs up until – and I actually think that uh, – did they get knocked out last week, Sean? I know um, – They were, I, what, semifinals? I saw yeah, the like they before. were deep. I'm, I'm going to look and see. I, I think that they're still – I think that they're still in. Yeah, they – they still in. Yeah. No, they lost to they lost to uh, Reedy oh, or uh, Mansfield Timberview this last weekend, so they finished right. twelve and one. So yeah. up until this past weekend, he was in the he was in the Texas playoffs. So they lost this past weekend, twenty eight to twenty six to Mansfield Timberview. So that was part of it. Number one, the other part of it was he was going through a lot of the similar stuff that we've seen from other kids at Notre Dame, like uh, Zach Martin or excuse me, Nick Martin, who really had a tough time flipping from Kentucky, who had got on him way before Notre Dame. I believe that's – Vince, wasn't that where his, the, the Martin dad, the parents Yeah, I, there was, was a connection Kentucky. there for sure. I, it was, right. It was, it was a dad or a cousin. Yeah. Or it, was, it was some sort of family the connection. Dad. Yeah. Uh, Drew Tranquil went through mm-hmm. this. Drew wanted to come to Notre Dame, but he'd Drew been committed Purdue. to Purdue so long yeah. that he didn't want to necessarily go back on his word. We've seen a, a, a lot of kids struggle with this where, you know, and that's kind of what makes him a Notre Dame kid. 
is because even though he knew everything about this move to Notre Dame is what he wanted and what he knew was right, pulling the trigger officially was just hard because it, there was a sense of, you know, I don't say guilt, not guilt, but just like a sense of, man, but this, these are the guys that like were on me. They were loyal to me. I gave them my word. And, and, you know, you know, this, this is just part of the business, right? This is part of the deal. And you've got to ultimately do what's best for you as a player. And I think that's kind of what we saw uh, from, from Caleb Smith uh, in, in as far as the backstory. And he made the decision obviously last week called coach, uh, coach Freeman and and made the decision. And that's uh, when we got word. So, uh, very, very big pickup for Notre Dame guys. I'm excited. You know, I'm excited because I think this staff, which they've been together, what, uh, eight months now? Yeah. Eight and a half months? Yeah, yeah. Something like that? The full yep. staff, yeah. Yeah, so eight and a half months. And in that time, I think, uh, I don't know how, what you think about it, Vince, but I think it's easy in the in the fall I mean, the spring and the fall to evaluate things while you're recruiting. Sure. But then to continue to evaluate during the season when mm-hmm. most coaches are focused on game to game. Sure. There is a clear there was a clear evaluation of the roster going on during the season by the staff to say, because this class went from 21 to 22 max to now having the possibility to get up to 28. Yeah. And that's a recognition of not only what they need and what they want to do to construct this roster, which is they've decided, look, we're not going to be heavily in the portal. Right. We're going to base our program on recruiting. Yeah. And that lets us know that they're going at the high value targets in 24. Like they're going to focus on a smaller group of kids. Sure. They're going to have a lesser number but it's going to be higher value targets and you'll probably, maybe you get 19 to 20 kids, but out of those 19 to 20 kids, you might end up with nine to 10 in the top one in the top 150 or something crazy like that. Something that we've never heard or seen at Notre Dame in a while. And so it's, it's pretty easy to see that there is a game plan that they're following. Absolutely. You know, within the program, within the coaching staff, that's not only connected to recruiting, but I'm sure we'll see it in the coming weeks with, you know, how the roster continues to evolve right. you know, going into the winter. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about sort of the class impact that you guys have already started to dive into a little bit. And first, to begin with, why five? Mm-hmm. I think that's the first question is why five? Because there's always the danger of overloading at a position, number one. And so five basically came down to number one is one of the four you have committed now is not a pure receiver. Dylan Edwards, you're going to use him a lot of different ways. You're going to mm-hmm. use him in the slot. You're going to use him outside in certain yeah. looks off the ball. We throw him screens. You can do some stuff out of the backfield with him. He's a return man. There's a lot of different things that you can do with this kid. And, and number two is you look at the current roster. There's four scholarship receivers coming back, number one. And so you say, okay, you can go the high school route with part of it or and then load up on, on portal kids. And then next year you can maybe sign another big receiver class. This is evidence of I still expect Notre Dame to, to still look at the portal for a kid. But what this does is you can be a little bit more selective. 
you don't need a portal guy. You take one if it's the right kid, but it, it also shows guys that this is st- this is further evidence that this is a staff that is still going to be focused on high school recruiting mm-hmm. as the foundation of their program. Awesome. And number three, it says to me that this staff still believes that there's a lot of value to being an 11 personnel team a good chunk of the time. I don't see any point in bringing in a five receiver set this year if you're going to be a 12 personnel all the time. I truly believe this year's 12 personnel emphasis was as much about your roster and the and the lack of depth at your roster. Now, I think they should have played Tobias Merriweather earlier. We can get into that conversation. You know, but Deion Joe Wilkins got hurt. Avery Davis was hurt. De- Deion Colsey started the year basically out with an injury. You were super limited in numbers. And some of the guys you had on your current rotation were guys that were were a bit injury prone during their careers before, like a Braden Lindsay. Do you really want to give him seventy snaps a game, you know, and then wear him down? And and so, uh, Jaden Thomas was unproven. He hadn't really shown himself. He didn't really play well early in the year. So there's a lot mm-hmm. of emphasis for it. But this tells me that they still want to look more like the team last year, which was a nice, healthy blend of eleven and twelve. Yeah. And then hopefully moving forward, you mix in 21 personnel a little bit more with it as well. But that's a different conversation for a different day. So I think that tells me something, Sean, that this is still a staff that believes in having depth at receiver. And that's why they went to five. So just looking at the five, forget the complementary nature of the five. I think that right there is why they felt five, Sean. And I think the emphasis on while other teams are looking at the portal as let's fill our roster that way the fact that Notre Dame now has 26 players committed in this class five receivers 14 offensive players and they're still pushing for more high school kids Mm -hmm. is evidence that this staff believes well let everybody else chase the one-year rentals the two-year rentals we're still going to be about establishing our culture and we're not going to have to deprogram kids from whatever they're coming from to the degree we're going to get three or four or five transfer kids and then it's going to be much easier for them to embrace the culture because they're going to be surrounded by the culture. Right. Right. And I think, Sean, that's a that's to me, this and this is evidence that that is still the philosophy that this coaching staff is going to employ. And one that I support, to be honest with you. Yeah, because, you know, that transfer portal is ever evolving and we don't know if legislation, you know, comes into play down the <laughs> road. And then all of a sudden things change for coaches and programs that have decided to build their entire program on transfers, whether it be from another school or junior college or FCS. So the traditional route is a long game in a sense. You're playing a long game and you're saying, look, we trust our one to two year development and having that stacked on two year intervals. We trust that more than you having to wait to see who's going to lead a certain situation every year. Right. And with the way Notre Dame is approaching recruiting, jumping out early on kids and getting their class pretty much done before the season starts makes it. I I would venture to say that right now, retention is the biggest thing for Marcus Freeman and this staff. But they have to feel darn good right now not to really have a lot of battles going on and worrying about we're fighting this team for this kid fighting that team for this kid. They're going after one or two guys that are left. And now it's all about going when when uh, the visitation period opens up, let's go visit our guys. Yep. Let's go see our kids and lock them in. That's our total yep. focus. 
Let's go mm-hmm. retain our class. Let's go check out Peyton Bowen and the rest of the guys and get them to lock in and our class is good. And now while they're out, they can even go and get to some 24 kids yep. and, and see them and start early on them. So look, I love it because I think they're sending a message and you just pretty much laid it out what their game plan is and the fan base. We have to sit back and let it evolve and develop and just trust you know, they can get the guys in. We see that. Now there has to be a transition from getting them in and getting them to produce on the field right. and right. manifesting wins. That's the next step. And there's things they still have to prove in that regard. Absolutely. Right? For Absolutely. sure. Here's another part of this, Vince, too, is, is getting to five is important and getting your numbers met and import is important and establishing yourself as a development program is important. But at the other part of the day, the, the thing is, is that one thing that we emphasize for years and one of the frustrations we had for years, you and I especially, because, I mean, we're the, I mean, we've been doing this show together for how long? And this has been <laughs> something we've been talking about. And then you and I would complain about this for years before this. Yep. Sean knows I've been complaining about this before I was doing podcasts. The lack of diversity amongst the skill set at wide receiver. Mm-hmm. What I love about this class is you have a lot of, there's no two cookie. Now there's players that have, there's no two cookie cutters on this roster. There's no a miles and a chase, right? right. What you have is you have a very unique skill set. You have a big physical guy like Jaden Greathouse. You have a long speedy, take the top off guy like Braylon James. You have the 6'1", 185, 190, precision route runner with great ball skills, Enrico Flores. You have the shifty, dynamic running back that's going to convert to wide receiver that's just a home run waiting to happen, but maybe not an every down wide receiver, meaning he's not going to be a 90 catch guy, maybe. Maybe he will. Maybe he could be Rondell Moore, but that's not necessarily where you see him at. Then you have Caleb Smith, who's a little bit of a – he's got a little bit of Braylon James speed to him. He's got a little bit of Rico Flores' route running to him. He's got a little bit of Dylan Edwards' shiftiness with the ball. He's not as like explosive, but he's more smooth. Mm-hmm. He's got the speed. He's that kind of compliment where like, he's a slot, but a slot that has the tools to potentially be also a guy that can play outside as well. And I think all those things are all those things are important to me. I and we have when we talk about how classes are graded, right? When you when you're talking about number one class, number two class, and it's all the point system and all that. And that that's the thing I have the hardest. And I realize that's the easiest thing to do when you're a national publication or what our national website, because everybody's assigned a number, you add all those numbers up, it's easy. They don't have to understand what the roster management of each team is, right? So it, it takes the burden off of them and it makes it easier. So I get it. Right. But when evaluating classes to me, and I know you feel the same way, I know Sean feels this way too. When you're evaluating the the power of a class, the rank of a class, you know, it's how it fits onto your roster. And it's how like can you take this recruiting class and basically turn it into a team essentially is part of it. And then how does it fit into the roster that you already have? So the roster management piece is huge to me. And I think that this 23 class, not only does it have those high numbered guys that you want, you, you want those guys. There's no right. doubt about it, but it fits. Like it right. fits what this Has to. staff wants to do. Number one, it fits into the roster that it is already there. Number two, I mean, it, it's just, it's a fit overall. And so not only does it make your roster better, but it also enhances your roster from a number standpoint, from what you were lacking 
and it and it fills in a lot of those gaps. Whereas, and I know this is kind of what we were already talking about before, but I wanted to mention the fact that I love the fact that they're building it from the bottom up, and fans need to. We are in a society right now where it's instant gratification. This guy's going to come in. He's going to beat the guy right now. Like when you're building from the bottom up, yes, there will be a couple of those guys. Benjamin Morrison is a great example of that as a freshman, right? But when you're building from the bottom up, you do have to be a little bit patient to what Sean was saying. There's a transition when you're coming in from high school, especially if you're an early enrollee, when these guys are supposed to still be in high school and you're expecting them to be five-star starters all of a sudden. Like You do have to be patient, but I think the overall the overall growth of this team and the way that they're building it is 100% the way to go because you're building guys that want to be there, number one. They're not just there as a one-year rental because it's different. When you buy in to an atmosphere and to a program and to a head coach and you're there for three to five years or whatever the case may be, it's different than if you're just there for one year or if you're, you know, and maybe this is not a good example and you guys can shoot me down and I totally respect that. But I think Brandon Joseph came to Notre Dame for the right reasons. He wanted to elevate himself and he wanted to put, you know, get more spotlight on him. He was a former all American, all of that. But I feel like he was, he had, his mind was set to be a one-year guy and and now he's going to leave. And I don't know that it boosted him the way he wanted it to. Right. I love the fact they're bringing in freshmen. They're building up from the bottom up. These guys are buying in. I, I The way the staff is doing it is, yeah. is very exciting to me. Even with all the outside noise with the portal and stuff, they're still doing it the right way. And I, yeah. I'm on board. Sean, I think there was a point that we discussed that, that's specific to Caleb Smith that I think is important. Vince talked about fitting together. This is a five-man receiver class that you can fit together. There's no one guy outside of maybe Dylan Edwards as just a receiver that can only play one slot spot. Mm-hmm. Braylon can play W or X. Yeah. Jaden Greathouse can play all three spots. Rico can play X or Z. This kid can play Z or X. And Dylan Edwards is only more of a Z. But there's some things you can do with inverted alignments, Vince, to get him outside. Absolutely. But also he can play some out of the backfield. So mm-hmm. even though he can only play necessarily one receiver spot, he can do a lot right. at running back. You could you take Jeremiah Love out of the backfield and put him at receiver in the slot and do some things. So it, you, you've got that at receiver. You've got a five-man offensive line class that can legitimately start as a five-man offensive line right. class, yes. right, with two tackles, two yep. guards in the center. Yep, and that's what The I was defensive about. line yep. class isn't quite there to a degree because there's not a true viper, but there's it's a four-man class. You've got a legitimate starting look at, at linebacker, and you've got a legitimate starting four in the secondary. And if you want to go four, two, five, and you want to say, let's put Preston Zenter as Viper. You only got two linebackers. You want to go four, two, five. Cool. Adon Schuler, go play Rover. Ben Minich, Peyton Bowen. Y'all take the top off this thing, and we're locking people down on the outside. That's such an important part of recruiting that doesn't get – and this is why when people want to know why I push back on recruiting rankings being the end-all, be-all when it comes to their points-driven system is because there's no way that – they, they don't evaluate that Correct. in a points-driven rankings. They don't evaluate. Well, this team signed seven defensive linemen and four receivers that were ranked high, but they didn't. They signed one linebacker. They signed two DBs and no tight ends, and they use a tight like that kind of thing, right? They didn't sign a quarterback. Well, that's a number two class in the country. Yeah, with like major holes in it. Exactly. And that was my issue with Texas Te- Texas A and M's last year. 
is they signed like 70 linemen, a bunch of receivers. They had a quarterback who I like. You guys saw him late in the year, Connor Wegman. I really like that kid. You know, but but they're run, but they had they had one linebacker. The DB class wasn't as good, in my opinion. You know, there was holes in that class. They had corners, but not safeties, in my view. It was it was not a complete class. One of the things that has separated Alabama over the years is Alabama more often than not signs complete classes. And when they mm-hmm. do miss on a position, it's because they've chosen to miss because they're loaded and maybe they redshirted some guys they weren't expecting to redshirt. And I think that's the and that's something Dabo always did a great job of up until recently. Is Dabo when he was really building Clemson would always Dabo was as good as anybody doing it the way that Notre Dame's trying to do it. Where yes, he would go get the big time, highly ranked the Deshaun Watsons, the Trevor Lawrence's, and the the Justin Rosses. But then he would find the Hunter Renfro walk-ons. He would find the Isaiah Simmons, the the three-star kid that everybody was like, "Why are you getting this three-star kid from Kansas?" And then he cu- turns out to be a star, right? Like he made a living on that. If you go back and look at the 2015 secondary, I mean, T.J. Green was like a two-star recruit, and he was ended up being a second-round draft pick. You know, so. That's the way that teams that aren't Bama, Ohio State, have to build. Yes, go get the Peyton Bowens. Go get the Braylon Jameses and the Jaden Greathouses and the Jeremiah Loves and the Charles Jagasols, the Drake Bowens. Those are the ones. But find a Micah Bell that maybe is being overlooked. You know, find it, Find a, a, a Caleb Smith. Find a Dylan Edwards who's being overlooked. Find those guys. Find the Joe Odding that's not getting blown up, you know, and, and those kind of kids. And that's what Notre Dame has to do. But you have to put a balanced class together, guys. And this is a huge 26-man class. But it's literally a group where you could say, I can put a starting 22 together with this class, and it's not forced. Yeah, It's not forced. And that's a rare thing to yeah. find. And that adds value that you can't find in a points-driven system. And I think that's another part of this impact that Caleb Smith has because you now have a legitimate receiver rotation, not just starters and a, an extra guy. You have a legitimate five-man receiver rotation that adds value to what this class is. Absolutely. And to the point earlier about the three-star thing, fellas, or <laughs> the development part, let, let's take Brent's the, the comment like legitimately. Like, What if he is a kid that needs three years? That's okay. You're signing five kids in this class. Right. You don't need all five of them to play next year. Right. You're going to have four kids coming back. You're going to have the other four, and then you're going to have a probably a portal kid most likely. You don't need him to come in and play right away. You don't necessarily need him to play by year two because everybody coming back next year has at least two years of eligibility mm-hmm. left. So even if he is a developmental guy, that's okay. Where you'd get in trouble, Sean, is if they only had two receivers committed and your third guy was a developmental guy. And I'm not even saying that Caleb Smith is necessarily a developmental guy. It's the point is you don't need him to come play right away. What right. would hurt Notre Dame in the past is they would sign a two-man receiver class or a three-man receiver class when they needed three or four, and the, and the third guy would be a developmental guy. Notre Dame didn't need a fifth guy. They wanted a fifth guy, yeah. right? And if this kid is a developmental player, that's still okay. And maybe he's not the developmental player. Maybe Braylon James needs more time. Maybe Rico needs more time. Maybe somebody gets hurt. By getting the fifth guy, you give yourself a buffer if one of the guys is not or two of the guys is not ready to play right away. The problem Notre Dame would run into in the past, Sean, with the smaller classes was if somebody got hurt or didn't pan out, you're screwed because your numbers weren't where they needed to be. This staff has put them in a situation where 
it, they're going to every if, if Marcus Freeman keeps doing it this way, Sean, every year we're going to be talking in August how are they going to get down to 85, how are they get down to 85. And that's honestly where Notre Dame needs to be. And that's why this is an important pickup. Another reason why it's an important pickup. Yeah, and our focus will be on who's throwing the ball to these guys and how many of these guys will be on the field simultaneously. But one of the biggest advantages that we've seen teams like Tennessee with Josh Heupel and Michigan with J.J. McCarthy, they've been able to take advantage and improve and diversify their running game because of the receivers that they have. So now forget the guys that are coming in. I think we talked about this the other day. When you can throw 6'4", 6'4", and 6'3", out there, or 6'2 and a half out there, and Deion Cozy, Tobias Merriweather, and Jaden Thomas, and they're all pretty good blockers, now no one's in their base defense, and they're spread out. So now there's less in the box. Now your offensive line can really get after it. Mm-hmm. You don't always have to depend upon 12 personnel to get your running game going. You can do that. You can do different things out of that, and no one can really focus on. Okay, we know when they go into this formation, they tend to do this. And when they go into this formation, they tend to do that. I think you're also going to see a lot of more, a lot more motion right. usage with the plethora of wide receivers. We know that the lack of wide receiver re- recruiting and the departures of some guys that did come in and commit to Notre Dame left a big hole in their room. And they just didn't have the numbers. And you throw in some of the injuries that happened in fall camp. Yeah, that, was that made it worse. Like, yeah. you know, we were out there watching. We were watching Avery Davis, not even thinking, wondering if he was just going to be healthy. And then we show up for the first day of fall camp, and it's like, yo, he's, oh, he's starting? Okay. And then that guy, you lose him again. Right. And he was looking good when he was playing. I mean, I, I was I was excited about Avery Davis. I I I know we've said this before, and I don't want to harp on it, but I feel so bad for that kid. Like he was he was gonna be a guy they counted on this year. There's no doubt about it from a leadership standpoint and from a production standpoint. And just to get that injury, man, that's that's rough. But your point is absolute. And to he he probably would have been a huge glue guy, confidence guy for two young quarterbacks early on. Mm -hmm. And Brian touched on it with Clemson. All of that talent they got, when they got into a pinch in championship games, Deshaun was looking for Hunter Renfro. Right. Third Not Mike Williams. Game. Yeah, exactly. Hunter Davis Scott. Right. Where's right. Hunter Renfro? Trevor Lawrence, same thing. Who was the – you had Justin Ross made the big plays, but who, yeah. who was it that made the big play late in the first half that really broke the game open? It was Hunter Renfro. Hunter Renfro. Right. Getting down the field on the scene. Yeah, so. I, Sean, I think the thing you talked about too that is worth mentioning with Caleb Smith is it did not hurt. Let's just say this without giving away too much. It did not hurt that they added Kenny Minchie to the class. Oh, not at all. Just leave it at that. It did not hurt this recruitment Mm-mm. that Kenny Minchie was added to the class on top of already having CJ Carr. It's like, because now all of a sudden receivers are like, all right, look, I know the quarterback situation doesn't look great now, but it's going to be all right. Yeah. It's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. So, guys, we've talked a lot about the fit, the cla- the impact, the fit, the backstory. What I want to do next, fellas, is I want to do my favorite part of this whole thing. Say it. And that is 
watch some film. Yes. Let's break down some film, fellas. And and we're gonna we're gonna kind of show what we like about this young man. This is actually film he dropped today. They don't yeah. need to see us, guys. We're gonna blow this thing up. This is film he dropped actually today. Up until today, he had his midseason highlights on there. You're gonna see him lining up in the slot, lining up outside. And I love that he starts with a with the an after the catch play. Now this mm-hmm. is a, this kid's playing outside of Dallas. Look at the juice. Yeah. And that's the first thing you see, guys, is he's playing in Texas, right? And and he's playing against quality competition. And this kid runs away. Here's a punt return for big play. But you know, Sean, the interesting thing that that um I think it was you that talked about this earlier. Maybe I'm just reading into what Malik said about it. But the thing about Will Fuller is Will Fuller didn't look fast. No. Like some guys are fast, and it's like, wow, did you see that guy? Like that guy's really fast. Yeah, he doesn't look fast. Will was like, he's got those little short strides. He was kind of a, an awkward, kind of smooth runner, and then all of a sudden he's like blowing past people. Now I've been told this kid does have a confirmed four four nine before his senior year, and he plays fast. He plays he plays to that speed, and I'm talking legitimate four four nine, not camp four four nine. Uh, but he plays that speed, but he he's really smooth, Sean. And you see these in these clips, and I think that masks a little bit the fact that he does have speed. Is that he's just a really fluid athlete. He's not a twitchy, herky jerky guy. He's just real smooth. And mm-hmm. I think that's where I think I, I agree with Malik. I'm not saying he's going to be as fast as Will, but I agree with Malik that he brings some of that that vibe, that Wolfler vibe, that sneaky fast vibe to the table. And it doesn't take long for him. His acceleration. Look at this. Yeah. And movement in tight spaces is what makes him extremely dangerous. You know, a lot of people don't have that, right? He can turn on a dime and get up to top speed. And that's where he starts pulling away from guys, you know, because his acceleration is on a different level. And the film, for me, I think people were talking about if he's developmental. Look, yeah, I don't see special, that. Special teams doesn't have to be developed. Right. Well, he, here's the thing, too, Sean, is this is what I like, too. He gets in a stance, he's got a nice forward lean, nice base. He has very – Sean or Vince, you especially see this. He has very little weight. There's a little bit of a dip, very little wasted motion coming out of his break. He gets yep. out of his break quick. This is not a developmental type of kid. Looking at him, finding that soft spot in the zone, catching the ball. This is I, not a developmental kid other than maybe, you know, some weight room time. Sure. But the thing I like about this kid, Vince, is he knows how to play. Mm-hmm. Sean, your point is spot on. You don't need to be developmental to be a, a kick returner. And we, we're seeing Notre Dame add yet another impact return man yes. from the high school level. But here's another thing, too. Like this little slow play right here. Hey, I got a slant route come and I'm going to fake. I'm going to obnoxiously do it. And then boom. And and notice he doesn't go to the second move until the DB commits to the slant. That's next level stuff. You don't see, okay, you see a guy doing a double move, but he waits for the double move until the DB commits. Nice body control, too, here, Vince, on the catch. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was a patient route. And and yeah. where guys get in trouble double moves is when they rush it. Mm-hmm. And that's the point exactly. you're making, Vince, is he, yeah. is, he is patient with it. Mm-hmm. Here's another example. You know, gets in his stance. It's not a lazy stance. He's, he has that little stem. So this is what I talk – this is a perfect example. I'm using a high school kid's film to point <laughs> – what do I always say, guys, when I talk about what I taught my receivers? There's, there's two things that I would always tell them, right? The number one basic release technique is you attack his leverage. Your aiming point is his outside shoulder. Mm-hmm. This You can see the feet here. 
this corner is playing inside leverage. He's trying to – because they've got an all-out blitz coming here. He is not going to let this kid catch a slant route and beat him inside where he has no help. Right. So he's going to use the sideline to protect him outside. So what does he do? A lot of receivers will just release vertically. Just go vertical. And, and what this kid does, as you see it, he has that – he doesn't quite attack the leverage – but you see that little dip. He takes a little bit of an inside release, but that yep. jab inside because what you what you what a well coached receiver knows is listen. If he's playing you in a direction, he's doing that because he's protecting that. And if you attack that, he's going to be ultra sensitive to it, right? And you see that here. And then he just explodes. I want to see him use his hands a little bit better here. He kind of exposes his chest on his release move, but he understands what he's doing. He's got to get a little bit sharper with it. But he accelerates past the guy. Great bot, great down. He tracks the deep ball extremely well. There's a hand here, guys, when the ball's coming. The kid, this kid actually kind of gets his hand somewhat in that because he's got a weight on it, makes the catch, the body control, the downfield tracking. This is a natural football player, fellas. This is not a kid that's just an athlete trying to learn how to play football. This kid knows how to play football. I, I love his vision too. I mean, he sees a crease and, and then his his speed allows him to hit it. Right. Look at this, Vince. Yeah, exactly. This guy's got the angle, man. Yes. Yes. And but he beats him to it. He mm-hmm. beats him to it because of his that ball speed. in the outside arm, son. Man. Get that ball in the outside arm. That's my only critique here. I, I don't disagree with you. But, but he attacks man. the block, though, Vince. That's your right. point. He attacks right. You want to make this cut off the butt of your outside blocker. Yep. And if he doesn't do that, that guy makes that play. He's got some juice. Mm-hmm. I mean, just look at him run away from everybody. I mean, not only does he attack the crease, but then he just runs away, you know, and he makes that kid's angle wrong. Yep. Yep. This kid's got some ability. You see he does a lot. Now, he did a lot more. It's a nice little china. I'd like to say him a little bit. That's a nice catch. Mm -hmm. I like the china to be a little sharper. He kind of leans on his butt a little bit, which caused him to take a little extra step. And he's got to be a little bit sharper with that release cut. Nice catch to go down and get that football. I didn't know what the next catch did. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? Really nice, really nice uh, ball skills. He catches the ball really clean, mm-hmm. really clean. He did a little bit more outside work uh, as a junior, but you okay. guys see he gets a lot of he's playing inside work yeah. in high school, and he's kind of tall for a slot, which I like. You know. It's hard to tell here, but if you really watch this, you can see he's catching this ball with his hands, not his chest. Right. That's the move. This right here. Bam. Mm-hmm. That's the cut right there, guys. And that's the vision that I was talking yeah. about, too, is he understands leverage and he understands vi- his vision and he trusts his eyes, which is huge for a wide receiver in open space. Yeah. Yep. That is big time. Some toughness there. I like that. I'd like to see him be a little bit sharper on this cut, but this is kind of another example, guys. Where's this DB playing him? What's the leverage, Vince? Outside. Outside. So what does he do? He pushes the kid. Yeah. yeah, and then he gets that little top end where he pushes him hard outside, and then that gets the separation. I mean, that's that's kind of textbook, guys. I mean, that's that. this is a kid that's been coached how to play the game. Right. I don't know who his receiver's coach is, if Agreed. it's his high school coach or if it's some guy he works with or what. I don't know who's called him. Maybe it's a parent. But this kid has some really nice, really nice technique. Now, here's another interesting one, guys. And you're like, wait a minute, why is this, you know, why is this kid not coming off the ball faster? He's got a safety to his side. You know, he's seeing zone. 
he's seeing cover three. He knows he's got to get behind this. If you take off too fast, that he's running right into that safety. Mm-hmm. That, that just shows he's, he has a feel for the zone, yep. and he's finding the soft spot. And then when he gets it, then he accelerates and makes some moves. Right. Sean, he plays with a really quiet confidence that also reminds me a lot of Will. Yeah. Will was not a flashy player. He just kind of beat you. Yeah. Yeah, his kid has a little bit of that. I would like to see him kind of stem down a little bit on this guy a little bit. He just allows this guy to open up and run with him, but he ends up making a great catch. I mean, just great, great downfield tracking. Yeah, I tell you what, this quarterback puts the ball in some pretty good spots yep. too. And for him to come in with the skill set that you have been harping on with the Notre Dame wide receiver room for the past three years, mm-hmm. especially the two years before Chancey Stuckey got here, stemming guys the right way. Yeah. And, right. and yeah. I'll, you know what? You can even affect the defensive back by your feet as a wide right. receiver. Well, you look at this, it. Sean. This is one, right? Like a lot of guys will kind of – they'll get to the top of their stop route. They'll lift yeah. up. They'll get choppy. This kid's vertical does a really nice job of sinking his hips, but he doesn't really lift up a lot at the end, so there's no tell. Right. He doesn't get – a lot of guys, to your point, Sean, they have that, t- that tell at the top of their route. He doesn't. So he's very clean. He can catch the ball with separation and then get upfield and get going. And this is stuff that you're right, Sean. We didn't see this from Notre Dame kids prior to this past season. Oh, no. And talk about how important that is when a kid gets to campus for a coach, a coach that doesn't have to go over this over Yeah. Over well, it's just the foundation is strong. So, you know, if and, and a lot of the kids are like that. Like Jaden Greathouse is very polished. Rico's very polished. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, this kid's polished. Braden Braylon James is not as polished as these two kids, but he showed a lot of route running dev- growth this year. So now, Sean, number one, it helps me have a chance to get these kids on the field faster. Sure. Number one, if they're ready in other areas, uh, it allows me to focus more on scheme and just building on the foundation as opposed to okay, let's start at receiver one hundred and one, right? And I got to get back to the basics because this kid doesn't have any clue what he's doing. He doesn't know how to get into a stance. He doesn't know how to get out of a stance. He doesn't know how to uh, attack leverage. He doesn't know how to properly stem. He doesn't know how to, you know, sink his hips. Like you know, most kids think that the way you, your top end's good because you use your feet. And I've always said the number one primary break for a wide receiver. Uh, at the top end is not your feet, it's not your arms, it's your hips. Yeah. Your hips are the brakes. And he's got that. He understands that. Jaden Greathouse understands that. Rico Flores understands that. So that means we can start kind of getting into, okay, you guys opted out of foot of receiver 101 by what you did in high school. You took advanced level classes in high school so we can jump into sophomore level classes. That's what it is, Sean. Yeah. Yeah. And it also, Vince, allows you to then focus more of your football 101 time on Dylan Edwards. Who's got to learn some more of those things mm-hmm. as opposed to having to teach five different kids that. And I, I think that's another advantage to it as well, Vince. And, and I, yeah, I just want to real quick. I, I, what also excites me because everything you just said, I want to piggyback off of that. And because they're bringing in this many guys, right. And we know that there's not that, that the room needs numbers. We know this, this is not a secret, but with these guys being elevated and, and them quote unquote, testing out of football one one that just elevates the competition level to get on the field because the opportunity is there. Right. And these guys are going to be competing for that. And when they're already coming to you with that advanced talent, that just, you know, it's the whole iron sharpens iron thing, right? Mm-hmm. These guys are going to be competing to get on the field. And I, and I just feel like with some of the coaches on this staff, man, they're going to promote this competition 
and the best guys are going to play period and it's going to be a competition man and i'm frankly i'm pretty pumped up to see it so it's going to be cool well we're a year out from you know what happened the day before and coaching you know search happening that led to marcus freeman and what happened you want to see the bit the dividends of bold practices Mm-hmm. What was one of the names we heard during all of the bowl practices? Jaden Thomas. Thomas. That's all we heard. Jaden yeah. Thomas. We kept saying we've never seen it. Absolutely. We've never seen it. Right. Absolutely. And then the light went on. They talked about how he made plays in the spring, how he made plays in fall camp. And then all of a sudden it took about three to four weeks. Mm-hmm. And that BYU game hit and the light went on. Yeah. And you, you saw what he became. So and right. it's a competition you talk about, Vince. Jay Greathouse isn't coming in expecting I'm sitting. Right. Right. That's not exactly. his mentality. You know, and I think you have about three or four other guys that have that same mentality. Like we might have to work and we might not start immediately, but we expect to get on the field and make an impact. And you yeah. don't mind having that attitude yeah. in that room because it does increase the level. It ramps the level of competition up and you yep. want your veterans to feel that. Absolutely. You want your veterans to feel yep. that. Absolutely. So you have to love what – this is something I want to point out as well. And this goes back to what we talked about with this staff and what states they would attack. I think Texas is probably widely respected on the high school level from a coaching standpoint. Mm-hmm. Just from a coaching standpoint – most people will move their children to Texas for football for that exact reason. Chancey Stuckey has connections to Texas coming from Baylor, but I just think the the sound fundamental play that we're able to see from some of these guys is probably because they're coming from a coach-rich state like Texas, right? Three of your wide receivers are coming from the state of Texas. Yeah. So when you start talking about their fundamentals and how polished they are, that goes a long way, right? Mm-hmm. You might it, a kid it can be Florida. different than Florida. Yes, Sean. Yes. That, see, man, you I just should have shut up and let you go. You're going where I'm yeah, – no, Go right ahead. ahead. You can pick it up go from right there because we talk about it all the time. Like there's a reason why Notre Dame wanted to plant their flag, you know, not just for that position but wanted to plant their flag in Texas. And did a great job doing that in this first class. They missed out on Malik Muhammad, somebody they were on early, but then they ended up with Caleb Smith on the back end, who was well, mentioned as one of the top five guys to watch. Yeah, Malik Muhammad they recruited as a corner, though. That is that yeah. is yeah, but but, but very saying, similar body type and yeah. right, right, very similar athleticism, very similar body type, those kind of things. Guys, I I think the Texas part we have to talk about mm-hmm. because. It's funny, we had Rod Babers on this summer on the show. Yeah. And I think at the time, I think maybe they had two kids kid from Texas committed, maybe even one. I'd have to remember when we had Rod on the show. Uh, and he talked about, you know, we talked about, it, there for some reason, Texas is a state that Notre Dame could probably have some success with. Mm-hmm. And we saw it. Right, we saw it this year with with everything that we've seen. Is Notre Dame made made Texas a priority, and I think it's very very important because I'm not saying that they shouldn't look at Florida kids. 
But the reality is, is you can't dismiss the fact that there was not a more Notre Dame fit kid in the state of Florida in the last five cycles than Keon Keeley. He private school, high academic kid, values culture, great kid, great personality. Notre Dame got on him early before he was a top 100 kid. Like everything about Keon Keeley screams, that's a Notre Dame kid. But in Florida, there's not, no, it's you're a five star. You're, uh, you know, you've got to look here. Forget the Notre Dame stuff. Uh, Why are you worrying about going to class, man? This is where you need, this is what you need to do, right? And you don't get them. If you can't get Keon Keeley, you're not going to get a five star from the state of Texas other than an offensive lineman or tight end, maybe. You mean Florida? Florida, yes, Florida. Whereas Texas, to your point, Sean, even with Texas being good, those kids, like Braylon James said, I don't want to stay in state. I want to experience the world. When was the last time you heard a kid from Florida say that? And then you're like, oh, this kid's got offers from this Ivy League school, and this kid's a 3.9 GPA, and this kid, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, Braylon, I mean, look, here's it's a better school systems, all due respect. It is. More money gets put into the football programs. Coaches are paid better. And that's another fact for anyone that's like lived in Florida, worked in Florida, coached in Florida, with the exception of some of the top schools, the top, top down, they don't pay a lot there. Texas takes football super seriously. And, you know, you look at Jaden, Braylon James is a borderline 4.0 student. Jaden Greathouse is over a 3.6. Micah Bell's a borderline 4.0 student. Peyton Bowen's like a 3.4 student, I believe. And I don't know what Caleb Smith's GPA is, well, but. Caleb Smith like has an else. offer from Dartmouth. So there you go. Give you an idea. There you go. So that's so, one thing I noticed this afternoon when I was and researching. I don't mean any disrespect, but you're just not finding a lot of that in Florida that yeah. are also dynamic athletes like you're finding in Texas. So it's imperative that you start to make Texas. What did we say before the season, Sean, or before the cycle really took off? There's two areas that Notre Dame has to focus more on. Yeah. Right. And and I'm purposely doing two this way. Okay. Um, they have to see Sean wasn't looking, so he didn't see it. Texas and St. Louis. Yeah. They now have seven kids committed. Mm. Let me do it this way. They now have seven kids committed from the state, of, from those areas, Sean, and they're all skill players. They're all skill players. So I'm just saying that it's, it's, this you is where they need to be. What are you talking about? You're talking about? Um, I don't know what you're talking about, Sean. Um, the fact that you got seven kids from St. Louis and Texas, yeah. including Austin, the Dallas area. I mean, you're getting them from big, big schools as well, big areas as well. They're all skill. They've gotten kids from Texas before. It's like tight end, Brock Wright, Nana, Hunter Spears, they get Durham Smythe. They've gotten like Nick Watkins. They've got the occasional skill player from Texas, but more often than not, you know, Cam McDaniel, Jalen Brown, not high-level kids. These are athletes and high-level players because St. Louis and Texas can be the area where Notre Dame can find those dynamic athletes that they're just not getting in Florida and Georgia the way that they need to. And I think that's a very important part to this this recruitment and just this class in general is you got – two top 100 receivers from the state of Texas. You got a five-star safety from the state of Texas. You got a top 100 cornerback from the state of Texas who's one of the fastest football players in America, and you just landed a kid that's a three-star, different type of kid who's a three-star. You got a top 100 corner from St. Louis 
and a top 100 running back from St. Louis. These aren't just Kyron Williams types who are good players that, you know, that have a shot down the road. These are impact day one. These kids are going to help you type of players. And the fact that Notre Dame was able to do that is huge because doing it this year, Sean, is going to make it so much easier to go get that next kid from those states in future years and those cities in future years. And that can't be dismissed with this kid's recruitment and with the others. And we've heard Ryan talked about this on the message board. Who was one of the first commits from Notre Dame to get on this kid? Say, hey, man, you got to come with us. Jaden Greathouse. Jaden Greathouse. The most dynamic receiver in the state. The kid from the school that hasn't lost in how many years? Has Jaden Greathouse, Greathouse ever lost a high school football game? Maybe a sophomore year? Maybe going back to a sophomore year? Hasn't lost one in the last two years. And that kid's getting on the horn talking to me. I'm some three-star kid that, know, that, that has two offers from Power 5 schools that we know of. And this kid wants me to come play with him. He's from my. He's from. He's not from. He's from Austin. That's not for very, very far from where I'm from in Frisco. You know, let's do this. Yeah. Let's do this. And so um, I think those things are all all very very important. Very, you mean he important. was he was actually recruiting this kid by taking uh, game visits to uh, Texas? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Right. I right. just wanted to make sure people kind of right. Yeah. And I'm petty. Relaxed a little bit. I'm petty. Yeah. I love it. I'm yeah. just, I, I just wanted to mention that little tidbit, you know, that some people might have been worried about with Jake Greenhouse since you brought his name up. And the fact that we have two more wide receivers from St. Louis on the hook in 24. Right. right. That they're yeah. pushing for, correct. That happens to be a teammate of a state, a state champions, Christian Brothers, with Jeremiah Love. Right. And the other one who went really off. Yes. Off in the state title game. Yes. And another one that just happens to be really tight with Cam Williams and Ryan Wingo. But, you know, you know. This, 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 and this I'm the petty one. Man. They don't know what they're doing, Vince. They have no clue what they're doing, Vince. No. They don't There's know. no plan. No. There's no plan no, here. No. But I was – I pushed back. I remember we had that conversation. Um, and we talked about Florida, California, Texas, which states would be more important. And you made the push for Texas. And I was like, yo, California has always been one of those main feeders for skill positions for Notre Dame. And Florida, I think, was last for both of us. Yes. But I had California first. Not because lack of talent. It's not about lack of talent. It's about can you really build a roster roster. making that a foundational part of your your recruiting operation? And you can't. If you can't get Keon Keeley, guys, if you can't keep Devin Moore in your class – yeah, I don't know what else to tell you. Yeah, yeah. So I'm. It's exciting. So let's talk about what's next, fellas. And you guys kind of talked about it earlier uh, when I had to step away. So what I heard this loud bang upstairs, like this loud thud. Well, Angela's not here, and it's the dogs are up there. So I'm like, okay, what's Rita getting into? So I had to go check it out and see what's going on. So I apologize. <laughs> let's talk about what's next. I think Sean, you you were talking about this when I stepped away. By getting a five-man class this year, you already have Cam Williams committed next year. Yeah, Notre Dame can flat out go big fish hunting now at wide receiver. Absolutely, and and also still has the room to take more than two. They don't have to. Oh, you only take two. You can't take too many. You know, you talk about guys that they'll bring some versatility. But now you've got this five-man class. You've got Cam Williams. So if you are fourth for Ryan Wingo right now, it's okay. Keep at it. Keep keep grinding. You know, if, if you're trailing for a, a, Jer, a Jeremiah McClellan right now, which I'm not saying they are, I'm just making a point, keep grinding. You keep pushing for an Emmett Mosley right now. Mm-hmm. You know, like you don't, you know, keep pushing for Michael Hudson, who's a 
big time receiver from the state of Texas. Yeah. Like, look, if, if you're fifth or sixth on his list right now, it's okay. There's you're not in any rush. You're okay. good. Mm-hmm. And so, and even if those kids commit somewhere else, all right, stay on them. And that allows you getting a fifth kid in this class allows you to be a lot more picky for next year's class, but also allows you to say, Hey, we missed a kid. We don't have to panic and go rush to take someone else. We've got Cam Williams, you know, maybe they add another guy. We can now focus on, okay, so-and-so committed to another school, but man, we really want that kid. Absolutely. And this kid's not super interested in us right now. Well, let's fix that. Let's change that. And I think getting, getting him also is impactful for that. You're done at receiver in this class. There's no doubt about that, but it does have an impact next year on, on how you go about recruiting and putting together the 2024 class. In my yeah. It makes everything so much. Let me tell you something, man. <laughs> There's a difference. If you, if you play poker, everybody knows that you can be a big dog in poker with a totally different style. You sit at a big, big states poker table, have five guys. They can all have five different styles of how they play the game. Right. So Marcus Freeman sits at Bit States Poker and recruiting. And he sits down and, you know, Nick is looking to the right. Like, what is he doing here? And he just got the job. Dabo looks. Dude, you just you just got the job. Mm-hmm. Right. Kirby looks. You just got the job. Yeah. I just play it differently. Right. I play the game differently. I might not have the same amount of chips as you guys right now. But I'll be patient. Yep. Oh, it's like rounders, movie rounders. I'll check all yep. night. Check, 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 check yeah. all night. Wear you down until you make the mistake, and the game plan is clear. Let's get out on these kids before everybody mm-hmm. else, and and force everyone else to play catch up. Right? You know why? Because Marcus Freeman actually believes in the product. Mm-hmm. He actually believes he can win a national title at Notre Dame. And the hindrances or the obstacles that most people might perceive to be there, he doesn't care about that. He understands they exist, but they're not an excuse. Right. That's like fire for him. Like, all right, let's go. Let's right. go get it. Right? If you think, I'm sure he's thinking, I had the number one and number three player yeah. in this class. You're lucky I didn't keep him. Watch yeah. me in 24. Right. Oh, that's his mentality. Well, and that's the, that's the, I mean, honestly, that Sean, that's the thing that still is a little bit heartbreaking on it. It's oh, just because really. what could have been if he would have stayed in the class. I'm yeah. not, I'm not even upset that Dante left. You got no. Kenny Minchie. I'm good. There's no replacement for Keon Keely. No. And it just isn't. Right. right. No. And literally and, and practically, I mean, literally meaning like there's, there's no one in the class that plays that position. And, and the other part is just, there's no one in the class that's like him. And uh, you just wish he could have I – because mean, think about if he was a part of this class. If Keon was part of this class, I mean, you're talking about uh, – this is one of the best recruiting classes I've ever seen. Man. You know, for no, I mean, for Notre Dame, but really anywhere. I don't care what the rankings would have said. I'm just telling you what I would see on film and, and the balance of this class. I mean, literally the only thing that they don't have in this class is a elite edge, elite viper. That's it. Yeah. Got big time receivers, big time running backs, big time quarterback, big time DBs, big time linebackers, big time O linemen, one of the better tight ends in the country, and 
You got really good big boys on the D line. You know, Bubakar's a, a beast, and Devin Houston's a beast, and Brendan Vernon's a beast. They don't have that edge rusher. Yeah. That's the only thing this class is missing. Yeah, it really is. It's the only thing that keeps us from being an A plus class, in my opinion. Is yeah. just that, and you had that. Yeah. And he just decided he wanted to, to to go a different path and an easier path. And I don't mean that disrespectfully for Keon, but it's it's an easier path to go to Alabama. Not competition wise, I and mean, there's competition there, but yeah. nobody's competing with Keon. If Keon puts in the work, he's gonna play wherever he goes. Yeah. It's the easier path because there he can just focus on football. Where at Notre Dame, you can be great in more areas than just football, and that's the opportunity he missed on or he chose to miss on. And I feel bad for him, but I mean that's what he could have been. And he just, but he didn't want to do it, you know. It goes to what you're talking about, being able to focus in. Look, Carson Hobbs is a three star. He's going, he's going to be a four star by the time all things. Oh yeah. You go watch that kid's film, and right. you're like, oh, I see. Okay, I see what Coach Mickens sees, and to get him blocked in early, and he, you talk about someone that's a spokesperson already on the defensive side of the ball. He, he is talking trash. He's letting everybody know I'm the best. I'm the best cover corner in the country. Come join us. Yep. This is what we're doing at Notre Dame. You need that swag. You need that swag, and that's something that Marcus Freeman that is invaluable. And we try to tell people the turn and the 180 is how Notre Dame is viewed nationally on the recruiting trail now compared to how they were viewed last December. Mm-hmm. It's a 180. Mm-hmm. And that work to be done in this short short time span is absolutely invaluable. Invaluable. And it's just not Marcus Freeman. It's everyone. Chancey Stuckey worked his tail off in the state of Texas to fill that wide receiver room. Worked his tail off. That's another thing. Kayla Smith, basketball player. Another thing that Chancey Stuckey loves with his wide receivers, he loves for his wide receivers to be basketball players. We lost out on Rodney Gallagher. Guess what he was? A really good basketball player. Like the versatility. He believes it it helps out with footwork and being able to make moves and run routes and the agility. So the game plan and the things that have changed, now we just have to see it, right, guys? Right, mm-hmm. retain the class now. The on-field and now yeah. the field. right. My, my question now is the issues that were there from a number standpoint, and I'm not making an excuse here. I'm really asking both of you guys as coaches: Have the limitations been lifted, or will they be lifted from a schematic? play call, creativity standpoint, now that you have numbers, elevated talent, it's like, and you don't have to stick to the 12 personnel to get to the things that you want to get to. Now that that has kind of been removed from the table, what do we really get? Well, that's the the great unknown, right? Right. Because we're talking offense here, right? That's the great unknown. Like, yeah. People have to kind of – you have to convince yourself of something, that Tommy Reese, the guy that we saw throwing the ball all over the field last year, just decided, screw that. I want to run 12, 13 personnel and be really uncreative and do all this kind of stuff. That's what he believed. I, I just 
I have a hard time believing that. Now, again, I'm not justifying what he did this year. There's a lot of things he could and should have done differently, and, and we've yeah. talked about that. But, like, you have to believe that he just, for some reason, or, like, what else am I supposed to believe? That, like, Harry Heastand cornered him in the office and was like, dude, if you don't run 13 personnel and run the ball all day, I'm going to ball you up, put you in my pocket, take you home and beat you up later. Like, I mean, is that kind of what you're expecting? That we're something? There's something that they saw on this team that – kind of made them feel like we can't be that team. And it's a lot of things. It was Buckner still developing. Then he gets hurt. Yeah. You've got a bunch of injuries at receiver. You're young at receiver. You're young. You're, you're uncertain of the, the offensive line doesn't do what you thought it was going to do early on in the season. There's a lot of things that kind of factored into this, and, and we saw what we saw. But I just kind of feel like why are they recruiting the way they're recruiting, even running back? So people keep asking why I keep saying he's the fifth receiver because Dylan Edwards is we yeah. count as a receiver now. He'll be a, he's sort of like a an athlete more than just a pure receiver, pure running back. But they didn't recruit three running backs in this class, y'all. Like he's he's not a running back. He's a receiver that can do some interesting things out of the back in the backfield because he's a great high school running back. But he projects more at the next level. But you don't recruit. Jaden Lamar and Jeremiah Love as your two running backs if you want to go be a ground-and-pound team. No. You just don't. Now, again, there's a difference between saying, hey, we're going to run the football. Tom Maurice is going to run the football. Marcus Freeman is going to run the football. But I don't think this is who they want to be. Why would you recruit seven skill players and only one tight end if that's who you ultimately want to be? Or was this just kind of what they were doing because they felt this is what they needed to do to survive this year? I now we can agree to disagree with them on that. I think there's things they could have done differently in, in, in that type of thing, but that's what they felt. And all the while they kept recruiting skill, 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 and guys that are skilled that, that can make plays with the ball in their hands on the perimeter. I just have to believe that ultimately that's where they want to be. Mm. And last year, late in the year, the offensive line was doing great in pass pro, still couldn't really run the ball, but they were great in pass pro late last year. They are playing bad defenses. You had a lot of skill out there. You were a little thin at running back because Chris Tyree was banged up. And what did we see Tommy Reese come out and do in the last five, six games of the year? Throw the ball all over yep. the yard. Yep. You know, now I don't think ultimately that's what he wants to do. I don't think that's who he is. And I don't think what we saw this year is necessarily who he is. I think that the, the, the who he is is a happy medium. He wants to be able to run the football, but he also wants to be a team, a guy that can go out there and efficiently complete 70 plus percent of the passes and rip you up. Like, you know, you look at like if you want to know what what a perfect game looks like for Tommy Reese, you know, statistically, you know, to me, it's we saw it kind of at times last year. Right, guys, like we saw it where and that was with a team that wasn't really good at running the football. But here's a perfect example. Notre Dame goes and plays Georgia Tech. Tommy uh, Jack Cohn goes 15 of 20 for 285 yards and two touchdowns. And the running game turns out 212 rushing yards. You know, that that's an example of what I think this team wants to be. You, you know, Navy game, 23 of 29 for 269, right? The Stanford game, you know, Notre Dame runs for 169 yards, not great, but 35 rushes. They 35 pass attempts, 26 of 35 for 345 yards and two touchdowns. What I do not think Tommy Reese wants to ultimately be is what we saw in the bowl games, 38 of 68 for 509 yards. That was out of necessity because they could not run the football. I don't think he wants to be what we saw against Clemson this year where you run the ball, you know, 47 times for 263 yards and you throw your quarterback completes nine passes for 85 yards. I don't think he wants to be that guy either. 
I think he felt right or wrong that that's what they needed to do to win. Yeah. And so, and, and he made that decision. And I think ultimately the, the happy medium is more of what we saw late last year where they were a good run the ball out of, you know, you're just better. And then, but a team that could go out there North Carolina this year is another game that I'd point to and say that that's where I think. Yeah. I, you know, that's, he, he, yeah. Yeah. That's where I think like an example of mm-hmm. if you want to know what I think ultimately he wants this offense to look like, it's that. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, Sean, you talked about the big, the big trees and having those kind of guys. But I, I also think back to Cam Smith, Caleb Smith is you still need guys that you can just get the ball to and let them go do something. And I think that ultimately is what Caleb Smith and Dylan Edwards yep. and and Jeremiah Love and Jane Lamar add a big dose of to this roster is guys that you don't have to scheme them open down the field. Find ways to get them the football now and let yeah. them do something. And they don't they didn't have a lot of that this year, especially once Lorenzo went in the tank mentally. He was the only guy that you really had that as far as screen. Now, Brayden Lindsay could stretch the field and do like a jet sweep, but he, he's a speed guy. He's not a right. shifty. He's not a shifty guy. guy. Yeah. They didn't have that after that. Yeah. The running backs they have aren't that way. Even Chris Tyree's not that way. Chris Tyree's a fast one yep. cut and go guy. We've talked about this. They want they they don't have those guys that can make people miss. This recruiting class and Caleb, and Caleb Smith is a big part of that, as you saw in the highlights, that can go out there and say, we're going to make you miss. That's that's what I like. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You got to love it. You have to love it. And I think it's going to vastly improve. Man, if you think Notre Dame, I would I would take an early bet right now. I don't even know if it's a prop bet. I would take an early bet right now that Notre Dame could have two 1,000 rushes next year. Well, they almost had it this year. I mean, That's they weren't that saying. far away from it this year. They did that without the threat of a true pass game to defenses to cause them to back up and not bring the safety down. You know, this wide receiver core really takes that next step. Like if, if Zoe just gets back to what he was second half, you know, freshman year, and Jaden Thomas gets better, and Deion Colsey gets better. Mm-hmm. You Look, it's going to cause teams to say, uh, I don't – Tobias is now taking the top off the defense. Right. You're not quick to send that safety down to the box. Right. Which means now you're you're giving Harry he stand a fair fight, right? Right. Exactly. Numbers and, and angles wise, yes. That's and you still have those guys that you're adding to the roster mm-hmm. that you don't have to throw the ball more than two yards past line of scrimmage, and sometimes not even to, yeah. to right. do damage. That's behind that, right, Vince. That's the balance you yeah. need, and that's what Notre Dame is. And that's what we, when Sean you brought up the my stuff about Clemson. That's what Clemson's lacking right now. Yeah. Who is the guy in the past game that Clemson just say, man, just get the ball out to and let him go do something, right? You know, it, which they used to have. I mean, they had that with uh, Armani Ro- or Mari Rogers was that right. way. Hunter Renfro was that way as a route runner. Like you yeah. didn't have to like design just like, dude, I'm running a slant. We're going to get a one on one. Go beat that dude. Right. And those are the things that they need. And that's Absolutely. the thing that I'm encouraged by. Um, well, and 
Uh, yeah. Somebody in the in the chat was talking about what what do you want as an offensive coordinator, right? You you do want balance. I mean, there is a semblance of balance that you would want if if you're a good offensive coordinator. I'll say that. I want balance on my offense, but I also want to be able to stretch the field horizontally and I want to be able to stretch the field vertically and I want to be able to run the ball. Like I want to do all of those things, right? You want balance and you want to be able to keep defenses on their toes. You don't want them to be able to load the box. You want them to be spread out just as Sean was talking about, right? Mm -hmm. That way Harry Heastan does have a fair fight with what they want to do on the ground. You want to stretch the linebackers and make them look sideline to sideline by being able to do some of those look screens and some of those tosses and some of those things to get the ball on the outside quickly. You also want to stretch the field and you want to work the seam so yeah. that you're all you're, you're working horizontally and you're working vertically. You want a defense to have to cover as much of the field as they possibly can. Yeah, that's what you want as an offense. You have to make them. You have to make them stop you everywhere, right? That's the goal as an offensive coordinator. Period. So, you know, again, that's a perfect world. But with the guys that they're bringing in and some of the guys that they already have on their roster offensively, that is what they're aiming for. That's what they're going towards. So, yeah, I'm excited about it. I think this offense can be special. So, guys, that's going to kind of do it for this breakdown. We're going to we have a couple questions here that we're going to get to in the mailbag. But before we do, folks, please hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast. Get on the message boards at boards.irishbreakdown.com. For those on the message board, this is one of the dancing gifts that we did, obviously. So there's still uh, two more out there, actually. Uh, and so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see how the rest of them play out here moving forward. But this was one of them, and we're excited about it very, very much. Mm-hmm. Got a couple mailbag questions. We're not going to do a full mailbag. We went, went a little long on that, but we did have a super chat from David Hess. Things just keep looking like this team will legitimately compete for the Natty in the next couple of years. Thanks, guys, for the content. Onward, Notre Dame. I, I was going to say something earlier, and I wanted to wait for the super chat when I saw it. Marcus Freeman is in the process of putting together, in my opinion, a legitimate top five class. I think it's a top three class. I don't care what Ohio State and Georgia or anybody else does. To me, the only class in the country that's going to be able to compete with this class when Notre Dame finishes it up, because there's still a couple more kids they're looking at, including one of my favorite players in the class that they're trying to land in Brandon Hillman. Like, you know, I'm not going to hide that. They're trying to land him. Love that kid. Everybody knows they're going after him. And he's a kid. He might be the most versatile kid in the entire class if they're able to get him. I mean, that kid could play quarterback, running back, wide receiver, safety, rover. I mean, that kid could play everywhere. (laughs) Uh, But uh, the thing is, guys, is they did this while putting together an 8-4 season in which they lost to Marshall and Stanford. And remember in both of those losses in the chat, oh, they're going to lose all the whole – the class is going to implode, implode, implode. Didn't happen. And somebody asks, is like, would they have lost a would they have lost Keon if they didn't lose to Marshall? I'm like, they lost Keon before they lost to Marshall. Like, I mean, you know, like that happened before he lo- they lost him. They lost Keon before the season started. So why do people think Notre Dame is going to lose recruits before National Signing Day? Well, well, uh, history. I mean, I get it. Last year, I get it. It's just this is a different era, is my point, right? Exactly. And and they did, but. We still haven't seen this I'm, in defense of people that feel that way, Vince. We haven't seen Marcus Freeman get to signing day yet. Right. Okay. Right. And so I understand where people are coming from. It's that BK PTSD. That's a real thing. Um, that's a, that's a real, 
that's a real thing, fellas. Um, I just let me I just I don't want to bang on too much. I would just say that's why you need to stop listening to other outlets and national people and just listen to what we tell you because we'll shoot you straight. And uh, they did this while going eight and four. Exactly. The With some devastating the losses. Field, bad losses. Yeah. If the product on the field can start can not see, look, they can't go through another eight and four next year. And great. Oh, this, right. Absolutely. But the win over Clemson, just kind of the way they developed, and there's a lot of kids in this class to see an opportunity to come play right away. That matters too. Sure. You know, but I think the product is going to get a lot better next year. You and I, we've all talked about that. We'll have all lost to explain why we think that. But if the product matches the recruiting effort, this is going to be impressive, and this is going to be fun. And this is why I'm so excited about the future. So what are the reasons that you're excited about the futures? Because number one, they're they're recruiting their butts off and they've got the number two class in the country in 2023. They got the number one class in 2024 right now. They're recruiting their butts off. Uh, you can't recruit big time quarterbacks. Well, can't say that anymore. Right. You know, oh, they can't get elite skill players. Well, can't say that anymore. Yeah, but you can't get kids from the South. Well, can't say that anymore. You know, oh, well, you can't go into, you know, this state and recruit beat this big time school for that kid. Well, can't say that anymore. Well, you can't get, you, you know, just th- they lack speed. There's just not enough speed. Braylon James runs a four four seven electronically time. He's not the top five in this class in speed. Okay, you can't say that anymore. Like, what are the excuses at this point in time? There are none. And Marcus Freeman blew him up in his first class. He just blew up every single BS narrative in his first class. Now, again, I shouldn't say that yet because we need to see them sign. But, he, you know, let's just – but we're seeing that get dismantled. And if the product on the field starts to match this, whew, guys, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. So once again, now you just have to see it translate to the field. Sure. Like you said, don't <laughs> we should feel better as a fan base. Yeah. Because it's been proven to us that we were told lies. Right. We were told right. it can't be done. Right. Guys like that don't want to come to Notre Dame. And it's been proven that's not the truth. We should feel better. We should feel empowered as a fan base. Like, you, you we, we are Notre Dame. You're darn yep. right. Kids do want to come here. We are still relevant. Like, all that yep. stuff was flipped in a matter of months by Marcus Freeman and his staff. It's amazing. So, guys, we have another super chat. We have a couple super chats coming up here, here real quick. We have one from Tyler Evans. Thank you, Tyler. How can you tell the difference between hands and body catchers as a receiver? Well... <laughs> I mean, um, I'm trying to think of how to say this. Like, I'm trying to get well. A a, a body catcher lets things like in because like some guys are body catchers, but they still use their hands. Mm-hmm. But they use their body to protect their hands. So it's not just like getting it into your chest. It's not mm-hmm. that simple. What to me, when I talk about the difference between a guy that catches the ball with his hands and a guy that's a body catcher, is a guy that's a hands catcher is a guy that attacks the football with his hands so like one of the things i would teach a receiver is you take your hands to the football right like soft fingers right like you don't get real tight hands soft fingers one of the drills we would do is we'd take a basketball and we would i'd just have him slam a basketball up against the wall because if you have if you do that with stiff fingers sean you're gonna be jammed like crazy yeah right so you just you do that just getting you soft fingers just snatching the ball out of the air catching it with your with the you know, the, this part of your hand, not not your fingertips, but also not the palm, but it's like this part of your hands, right? Catching it with that, but attack the football. 
and, and you bring it into your body. What you don't want to do is be stiff. You don't want to be stiff here where you've got hands like this and you're just catching it firm. Yeah. You don't want to be stiff where it's in here, getting into your body here either. Yeah. And I, and the example I use is imagine if you threw a football up against a brick wall or you threw a football into a, uh, a cushion, right? Yeah. You want to, you want to catch the ball like it's a cushion, meaning you want to take away some of the thing you go out and get it right. Or you're here or you're here real tight. And that allows the ball to be firm and it's a lot harder to catch it. It also makes it harder to clean catch it yeah. and to catch it like you get here and then you bring it in. It's just, it, that's a bot. That's a hands catcher. Body catchers tend to be guys that catch the ball right here because they don't have the confidence in their hands. They have to use their body to protect them. Right. And to secure it. Guys that are hands catchers attack the football with their hands. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you that's can, the difference for me. I, you can hear it. Yeah. I mean, when you're on the right. sideline, I mean, obviously we're watching film you can't hear it, but when you're there and you're in per- you can hear the difference between a body catcher and a hand catcher. Yeah. I mean, and it is a distinct difference. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And yeah. that's that's natural. Some guys are right. natural hand catchers, the others are natural. Absolutely. But you can work on them. Right. You can yes. work on them. Yes. You don't you might not necessarily have the best hands. I remember in baseball events and you guys might have done this. We spent the first week we didn't use gloves. We used a ping mm-hmm. pong paddle in our hands on the infield. Yeah. That was it. That yeah. taught us. Yeah. Right. We and have these flat, yeah. these flat gloves. It's yeah. just like it, just a big thing. And you yeah. Just, yeah, you work on bringing it in. Bring it know? in. Absolutely. Into the glove. It's the same mm-hmm. thing in football. You look the ball into your hands. Yeah. Like don't take your hands off the ball. Look it in. So, yeah, it can be worked on. Yeah. You know? it's muscle no memory, you know. I have another super chat down here from Relly Q. Thank you very much. Given that you can't always trust stars ratings from some sites on players like Caleb, how do you rank your, uh, how do you rank overall classes and against each other? I would say it doesn't matter, but it may to recruits. I mean, look, recruits are going to look at that stuff. I, it's nothing I can do about that, but you still have, I mean, ESPN does not recruit based on points. Uh, SIA all American does not recruit based off points. But at the end of the day, just let the results speak for themselves on the field. Honestly, that's what it's going to matter to. I mean, Clemson didn't have a problem landing five-star recruits. They never had a number one class. They never had a top – they had one top five class. That's it. Clemson had one top five class during the whole build. And so uh, it's just about getting the players, right? And eventually the five-star kids will be looking at it and be like, man, that's – I want to be part of that. Look what they're doing. Those kids will eventually come. Yep. You know, that's that's the difference, guys, is you have to kind of build that a little bit against each other. And, you know, they're, and, and you're get, but they're getting five star kids. I mean, to me, Peyton Bowen is a five star. He's already ranked as one. Charles Jagasaw is ranked by on three is one of the 10 best players in the entire country. He's a five star uh, rivals as of right now has Braylon has uh, Brandon Vernon in the top 30. I think Peyton Bowen's a borderline five star, if not a five star. And then there's a lot of kids that kind of have those five-star tools when you look at a Braylon James, and maybe they're not there yet, but they've got the upside to be that. There's plenty of guys like that. You know, look, Notre Dame's signing a ton of top 100 kids, right? And so, like, ESPN yesterday released their top, their updated recruiting class. And they had Notre Dame number two behind Alabama. Alabama's the only team that had more ESPN 300 kids on their class. Notre Dame had 17. Man, as of yesterday, now they have 26 kids in the class, but 17 of Notre Dame's 26 kids are ranked as ESPN 300 guys. If you look at the SI 99, who updated their class rankings today, which our guy John Garcia, he had Notre Dame ranked number two behind Alabama. Notre Dame was tied with Bama for the most 
SI 99 players. That means eight of Notre Dame's 25 commits, now 26, were ranked as top 99 players in the country nationally. So those players are starting to come. And that's how you get there. That's how Clemson got there. And then eventually sure. you start landing the the, the, the elite dudes, and that's kind of where you are. But you're getting those kids. And you're balancing those kids with guys who are really good, but maybe not elite. Because I, I believe, Sean, there's a there's – a, there's you can have like let's look at basketball. Mm-hmm. It's a good example. I think it relates to football. Is if you have one elite player and five, four solid players, that team's going to be pretty good, and they're going to beat most teams. But when you play that team that maybe doesn't have an elite player, but they have five really good players, you're going to yeah. get beat. Yeah, you're going to get beat. Yeah, and that was the story of the Bulls for much of Jordan's early career. Yeah, you know, Michael Jordan might have been the best player on the court when they played the Celtics, but they literally never beat Boston in the playoff yeah. game. Why? Because he always had that that he they had their stars, but then it was just one to eight. They just were better. It was him, and right? then the next five best players in the series were on the Celtics. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> next seven best players were on the Celtics. <laughs> you know, and and so he could go drop his sixty nine, but you were going to win that game, right? And I think football is like that too, guys. It's like, yeah, you may have your star, but I felt this way about Georgia last year. I don't really think that Georgia last year had any truly generational elite talents. Bryce Young was probably the most generational talent on the field last year of those two teams. You you could argue that Alabama had some of the better players in that draft. Now, look, I know that Trayvon Walker got picked number, but that guy got overdrafted because Georgia won. Yeah. Right? But I kind of felt like what made Georgia so good last year is they had some big-time players. Don't get me wrong. Jalen Carter's a big-time player. I'm not saying they weren't big-time players. But what I'm saying is they were so good 1-30. to They didn't have the talent that LSU had in 2019 at the top. There was no Jamar Chase on their team last year. With all due respect to the kids who were drafted high, there was not. There was no Justin Jefferson. There was no Joe Burrow on that team. Yeah. But they were so deep 1-30 to that they made them a really good team. And I and this year's even a greater example this year is there's even fewer of those elite players like, oh my gosh, this guy's one of the greatest I've ever seen do it this yeah. year compared to last year. Right. And yet they're still 12 and a why? Because they are such a deep team. They're just good every they're just really good everywhere. Yeah. They're not great at receiver. They're good. Yeah. They're not great on the offensive line. They're good. Stutzen Bennett's not a great player. He's just good. And it's across the board. And that beats the team that's got the really good player here, the really good player there, but they're just not good here. They're just not good there. And that team's going to win if you're good enough. Now, what hurt Notre Dame this year was they had that against Clemson, but when you got into a game where the play at quarterback was so much superior, yeah. you got hurt because yeah. Notre Dame wasn't really good everywhere. Right. And that's what this class is hopefully the, the foundation of, of fixing. Yeah, and yeah. we'll find out if that's the case. But yeah, really, yeah. really good question, and it kind of sparked some some different directions on that conversation a little bit, which I appreciate. I did want to answer this a couple of these things real quick. Uh, Jermaine Hargrave says is talking about Tobias Merriweather's redshirt. He played six games this year, so Tobias will not be a redshirt. And I fully anticipate Tobias playing in the bowl game. From everything I've been told, he will play in the bowl game, so he's good. To great. Go. This is a great observation, guys. Uh, Re- Rocket Rebound says Ronan Hannafin picking Clemson forced Notre Dame to pick two slot guys. He said, so that part worked out perfectly as well. And, and that's a great point because as much as I loved Ronan Hannafin, he was a lot like the other guys in the class. Yeah. He was, he was part Jaden Greathouse, part Braylon James. And by not getting him, 
you went out and got two guys that are maybe I don't know if I'd rank either of those guys as high as Ronan on a top 100 ranking, but as far as putting the receiver class together, it made it the class you a more little complimentary. bit more, There you go. You know what I mean? It made it more yeah. complimentary, which is which is what we look for anyway. And we look, we, not none of the three of us would have been like, yeah, we don't need Ronan Hannafin. Like you know, you know, yes, we would have all been very happy to have him in the class. Okay, but when you it, I mean, sometimes things work out, right? It's when, like when Shipley went to Clemson and mm-hmm. they were able to get the guys that they got, in, you know, in Notre Dame's backfield. Mm-hmm. I think more often than not, people be like, you know what? I'm glad with what we got, you know? And, and that's, sometimes it just works out that way. And I, I agree with Rocket. I, I think that that's, that's a really good point. It allowed yeah. this receiving core to be more complimentary of each yeah. other. Yeah. I know people are going to disagree with me on this, but I would argue that the best of the individual players is still Will Shipley. And I know there's others that will say it's Logan, others say it's Aldrick Estime, and that's fine. It's a, it's a debate to have. But it's not even close when you consider the Room. two versus the one. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Right? No doubt. And, and that's the key. Like, look, Cardinal Tate, really good player, right? I mean, you missed some receivers that were individually, but I, I have no complaints about how this receiving class shaped up. None. Right. None. No, I mean, that's the reality of it is, is none because, yeah, you may not have ended up with who you thought you were going to get at the very beginning. But, hey, man, like it is it is big time now. Mm-hmm. It is big time now. Like this is a group as a whole. And that's really what you need. And we've seen Notre Dame teams in the past. 2011 is a perfect example. 2014 is an example where Notre Dame had elite talent at the top. And I've made this case before. Give me Notre Dame's five best players in 2012, and they flat out stack up against Alabama's five best players in 2012. The difference was six through 20. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I remember you, you know? and I talking about that. Yeah. I mean, I, we had that conversation. You know, I, that that is 100% what it was. They just didn't have the depth. Right. Just didn't. Right. And those teams go eight and five. Yet, right. I mean, the 2018 team, I'm trying to think of this. I don't know if there was a single guy on the 2018 team that I would put in the top five of the 2012 team because there's nobody as good as Zach Martin, nobody as good as Manti, nobody as good as Tyler Eifert, nobody as good as Stefan Tuitt, maybe five. Maybe you could have put a guy at five. Then you'd have to go, okay, is is any of them better than Lewis Nix? Mm-hmm. Are any of them better than, you know, I mean, so maybe not a single dude goes in the top five. But yet that team was so much better than the 2012 team. Right, because they were so much better everywhere else. Even though the 2012 team was probably a little better quarterback, mm-hmm. although I would argue Ian in the regular season was really good. He just wasn't in the postseason. But that's that's the kind of thing is is it's that's what's made Bama so good for so many years. Right, is just the depth of talent. Ohio State's a perfect example of the opposite. Ohio State can is is going to be really hard for anyone to beat in a seven on seven game. But what Michigan has showed is but you're not good enough here and we can neutralize this because you're not good enough there. Yep. And what made those Clemson teams so good is fine. You want to play our pass, you know, Deshaun Watson and Wayne Gallman are going to run it on you. And you want to try to stop our run. Cool. Deshaun will throw it 70 times. There's literally nothing you can do to stop it. And I think that's ultimately where Notre Dame is trying to get to is having that balance where there's like we saw this year when USC could take Notre Dame's run game away, there's, they could do something to a degree, but they couldn't go all the way. Right. And and Stanford did that. And Marshall did that. Where if you build the team the way you need to build the team, 
with the balance is, you know, like this year, Tommy had to call the right play call for the pass game to work. He had to scheme guys open. What this group does, hey, man, just stop overthinking it. Just throw a freaking now screen to Dylan Edwards and let him do his thing. Yeah. Just run a reverse to Caleb Smith and let him do his thing. Just drop back and throw a bomb to Braylon James and just let him do his thing, man. Stop stop messing around, right? Right. They got a one-on-one. Call double post. Put Jaden Greathouse in the slot and let him smoke that safety all across the middle. Just – you know what I mean? Like now, you know, just call a wheel route to, to Jeremiah Love or just put Jeremiah Love outside and throw him a screen pass. Yeah. You now have those guys where you don't got to have scheme everybody every right. single right. play. And I think that's important. That's important. It's going to be and fun. That's what this team has been lacking to a degree. And play, so. well, I will say this it, Marcus Freeman, I think, I forget after the game what game it was after, but I remember him saying, no, it was like his Monday press conference. And he said flat out, I think it was after the Clemson win. We're the team we have to be today to win, but we're not the team mm-hmm. that we're going to be. And it goes to what you're saying, Brian, like, the things that they're bring, the people they're bringing in in this class, you can kind of start to see hints of what Tommy envisions. I will say this: the two quarterbacks that he has coming in are definitely key to, in my opinion, their strengths are what he wants to do. Like when you watch them play, he wants somebody that can pick you apart, short game, quick game, but also stretch the field and throw down the field because those are the receivers that he's going to the, the different types of receivers and weapons he's going to have. So I think, you know, that's something to be excited about. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. one of the things, look, you tip it, you can be upset about the way he's done things to get USC back to where they are. Lincoln Riley's is one of the best at spreading you out and running the ball. Right. He's one of the best. And, Brian, we talked about this. You go back and look at what he called on that first drive. He gave Al Golden a night full of things yep. to think about in like three or yep. four plays. Like, you got to think about this stuff all night based upon what I just called. Right. And that's masterful, right? And, of course, the quarterback he had, the weapons he had. Makes it easier. Gives him the ability to take that shot and do those things early, right? And and put that in the minds of the defensive well, coordinator. And hopefully Tommy feels freed up. With let's the- wrap let's wrap up this last part, Sean, with a comment on the receivers. Why is it important to get as many kids as you've got in this class? Because mm-hmm. to win a championship, I need to be able to say, if you're gonna take away my two best things, I got number three I can beat you with. Hmm. So you want to take away my run game with numbers and you have an elite receiver, elite corner that can take away my top receiver. Okay. That's that good on you, mm-hmm. but you can't stop me here, here and here. Yep. And that's the, that was the difference last year between Georgia and Bama. Mm-hmm. When Bama lost their two receivers, they had nothing else to go to. Couldn't run on Georgia. You know, couldn't, couldn't, those other guys weren't getting open. They were reliant on those two guys. Mm-hmm. Past Bama teams would have said, oh, okay, that sucks, but we're going to have a tight end that can make plays. We're going to run it down your throat. You can't stop our run game anyway. And and that's kind of like like the 2012 game. You know, Bama just said, we're going to take Tyler Eiffel out of the game. You're going to have to beat somebody else in there. And it couldn't. It just couldn't. 
And the best teams are going to be good enough to take away what one or two of the things that you do. And Notre Dame was the kind of team where if you could take Michael Mayer out and limit the run game, Notre Dame had nothing else that could really go yeah, to. Not much of an answer. Right. Yeah. And what they're trying to get to the point is where, okay, fine, you want to take away Jaden Greathouse and Jeremiah Love out of this game? That's cool. Who are you going to have defend Braylon James? Who are you going to have defend Rico? Who are you going to have to defend Ooh. Caleb Smith? Who are you going to defend to stop Dylan Edwards in space? We're going to go 21 personnel, and if you want to key on J- Jeremiah Love, cool, we're going to motion him out, and we're going to run it up the middle when you empty out with Jay Lamar. I mean, that's what that's what this class brings, mm-hmm. right? And third and five, you're all worried about these guys. Hey, we just banged a Y option throw to Cooper Flanagan for a first down. Right. You know? And, oh, by the way, we're also running behind the best offensive line in the country. Yes. Oh, by the way. Yeah. Just that's that's, that's the thing, guys, and that's why it matters to have the balance. Yeah. Not just get a great player here and a great player there, but to have the balance. You have an impact quarterback, an impact running backfield. You have one of the better tight ends in the country that fits exactly what you needed. He's a great blocker. Mm-hmm. This is what you needed after what you got the last couple of years of tight end. That's a, not meant to be an insult. I love what they've done at tight end. It's just he just brings a different skill set than body type than those guys all do, right? And then you've got impacted offensive line, and you've got impacted receiver, big impact receivers, smaller impact receivers. It's just this is this is what recruiting looks like the right way. And I can promise you all two things. Number one, Notre Dame did not ha- change their weather. <laughs> and Notre Dame did not loosen their academic standards. And Notre Dame, as far as I know, has not hired a new chef. So um, well played. Yeah. Oh, Pretty sure man. it's just about working your ass off and still brown paper bag right lunches, people. huh? Yeah. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. And focusing on what makes you great, not what, what you're missing. That's oh, what it comes it. down to. I did have it. one question here from DBZ. And uh, w- w- so what she asks, guys, and we'll, we'll finish it up with this one. She says, hypothetically, if Notre Dame was ranked number one going to the 12-team playoff, would we be bumped to number five? Yes. 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 So the way that it works, uh, D, is – Notre Dame, because they're not in a conference, can never be a one through four seed. And the reason why is the 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 way – well, this is based on the previous format, which still hasn't technically been adopted yet. True. But it will be. But it, basically it works is uh, you the, the four seeds that also get buys goes to the four highest-ranked conference champions. Since Notre Dame can never be a conference champion, the highest they could ever be ranked is five. Mm-hmm. So if Notre Dame was the number one ranked team in the playoff ranking, they would be the five seed in the playoff. Uh, and they would play the number 12 seed in the first round. Right. Which is the best group of five if they are ranked Some less years. than 11. Yeah. Right. If they're yeah. ranked less than 11, then the number 12 seed is the group of five, the best group of five. Left. Like in 2020, Vince, Notre Dame would have been a five seed. They would have not have played Cincinnati, who was the highest ranked group of five because they were eight. They would have right. played, I think, uh, Penn State that year. Right. And I think people forget about that. Right. Like if they're right. higher up, then they're going right. to be in UCF that one year yeah. would have been higher than 12. Right. But like this year, that would have been the 12 seed. Yes. It would have been the group of five team. Right. Correct. Right. Or at least as, right. as of right now. Yeah. So, yep. and, 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 and Debezi, the, the reason. That's the price of independence. I mean, let, let's be honest. That is what you are paying to be independent. 
and not be in a conference, yeah. right? You you are paying, okay, we're never going to be the number one seed, one through four, but we will still be able to retain our independence and stick with what we want to be as Notre Dame, right? That's your payment. And honestly, and Brian and I had this conversation before, I give Jack Swarbrick a lot of credit for going ahead and go and, and say, hey, look, that's fine. The highest we'll be is number five, but we still have open access to the college football playoff Mm -hmm. so that we can remain independent. Like that's, you know, we'll take one to get one. Right. And I, I will trade that all day. I will trade being the number five seed all day long. And I'll say this again. Vince has only convinced me of something one time, one time. And I'm going to ride that horse till bust. And it was this, because I was pissed Vince. I was like, that's bull crap. Like I was, this is bull. And Vince like, was like, no, no, here, here's why. And I was like, you know what? It's well done, my friend. Well done. <laughs> so that's the way that that played out, DBZ. And then I did. I just did want to pull this up here real quick because this was really funny. Um, uh, Detroit Hunter said, "Did he say Keon Jeremiah Love?" And then he went to and he said, followed up with, "Is that is that code talk, Brian?" <laughs> and no, I did not say. I said key on. So two <laughs> words: K E Y dash zero N or O N. Uh, key on Jeremiah Love, not Keon. <laughs> And uh, I got to tell y'all, I there's a lot of people say, no, I just feel it. Keon's going to sign with their name. Guys, just. It's okay. Just let it go. I hate to break it to you, but you've got to <laughs> let it go. Got to let it go. I would, nothing would make me happier. Yeah. Like nothing. I would, I, I've told y'all, I'm I'm disappointed that Keon picked out, is, is going to pick Alabama or whoever. Disappointed by it. Sure. I think he's a great fit at Notre Dame. I think he's made the wrong choice. I just think flat out he made the wrong choice. I think he will not develop the same way there as a as a young man and a football player as he would have at Notre Dame. I just I'll take that to my grave. And I, I think he made a mistake. That's just my opinion. He doesn't think that clearly, but I still love the kid. I do. I think he's a great kid. I do. I, I've I've always enjoyed talking with Keon. I mean, I still remember how excited he was as a young kid when he came into Notre Dame coming in our chat and how excited he was right. and all that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, if he called Notre Dame tomorrow, they'd take it. I know they'd take him. I know that for would. a fact, and I would be excited about it, but it's just not going to happen, everybody. I just, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't want you because the reason I'm saying it's important is I don't want people to get disappointed when it doesn't happen because it's not. Yeah. And, and then it doesn't, and then it takes away from just how good this class is. Sure. Right. And that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at yeah. with this. I think. So. This is the difference. Keon made a choice. From a football standpoint, he'll be fine. Yeah. And I right. think what's your point now sure. is the total, total development. Right. He may that. develop as good yeah. as a football player a there football as player, another name, but he's different to yeah. me. I think he'll be fine as a football player. Well, in comparison to the other Potentially. Young potentially. I, I do wonder, Sean, however, is, is the fit for him there? Will he be as – like, because like, if, if you're not right up here somewhere and you're uncomfortable somewhere and it's not really who you are, maybe you don't develop. But but overall point I agree with Sean is yeah. I'm not saying he's not going to go there and develop as a football player. What I'm saying is that Notre Dame, he could have been a great football player and yeah. developed yeah. into Ever. something special to where right. once his football career is over, the education he got at Notre Dame would then prepare him to turn the millions he'd make in the NFL yeah. into many, many, many more millions and more success and more impact on the world yeah. beyond that. Because yeah. – if we're being honest, you just don't see that as much with Bama kids. Some do, but you don't. You see that nonstop with Notre Dame kids. Yeah. Nonstop. Yeah. 
And that's kind of where we're at. I just feel like with him, you see Ohio State and Alabama, and you know, okay, you see the pedigree right. and the history. Just like you look at offensive linemen in Notre Dame, it's like, okay, I understand. Yeah. Like, I right. get it. The other young man that chose to part ways, you played yourself. Right. You absolutely played yourself. Yeah. Like, and, and – Well, it worked out for Notre Dame. Yeah. I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, but you're not wrong. You're not wrong at all. I did want to pull this up. We're going to end on this from Paul. Uh, Paul says, can I please, and thank you for the super chat, Paul. Can I please get the IB family prayer warriors to help out with our close friend, Anna, who was intubated in the ICU. Thank you and go Irish. Paul, Absolutely. Um, there's one right there for sure uh, is, is one of those prayer warriors. We will absolutely do that, buddy. There's no question. I'm going to talk to my wife when she gets home here in a little bit. She is definitely that as well. And, um, we will, and I will as well. I don't know if I'd call myself that. I don't know if God necessarily moves the way, uh, when I pray the way he does for others. And that's kind of part of it, but I'll still do it. And, uh, but definitely the people that, uh, that I know that are that way, I will get them to be that way. And, and we'll be, we'll be praying for her. And I appreciate you letting us know about that. Absolutely. And on that note, everybody, we are, we are done and we love you too, Paul. We appreciate you being with us and we appreciate that you, that you feel comfortable bringing that to us. I do. And so what we always want to do is what we always want to do. Um, and then Tommy guns, our guy says, uh, my little Leonidas, that's his son. That's his baby had 105 fever today. Wife just left the ER with him thinking it's the flu and fortunately not RSV. So the reason Tommy's not there is Tommy's a truck driver. So making this even worse for Tommy is that Tommy is out on the road right now. So, um, uh, Tommy, I'll be praying for, for your, for your baby boy, but also for you, buddy, that you can stay locked in and focused on the task at hand that you have to get home to your family safety safely. So, uh, we appreciate you, uh, appreciate you very much. He's one of the OGs. Right? Oh yeah. So, um, we appreciate all y'all, but everybody have a huge, great rest of your night. Big pickup for Notre Dame, Caleb Smith big in one. the class. This is a good one. Um, very excited about this one. Love this receiving class. Kenny Minchie's got to be like, how did I fall into this? <laughs> CJ Carr's got to be like, this is freaking wonderful. Like those two kids are just going to be like, hold on a second. I got that dude blocking for me and that dude blocking for me to hand off to this guy. And now I get to throw to this like, oh my gosh, like, you know, they're just going to be so excited. So. Uh, and I understand why you why you wouldn't be. Very, very exciting stuff <laughs> going on. So uh, we'll be back tomorrow, 1 o'clock tomorrow, for our, our normal Friday show. I'm, I can't believe it's Friday already, guys. It's crazy. Uh, but uh, make sure you all hit that like button, everybody. Hit that subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Share this podcast. I'm telling you, sign up for the message boards at boards.rsbreakdown.com. There's so much intel on there that we just can't and won't go public with. You, you're missing out if you're not on there. I'm telling you, you're missing out. Definitely want to do that. Read our website at, at irishbreakdown.com. That's where all of our free content is. So all of our articles. Are, so I've got the class impact story about Caleb Smith on there. Got the commit story about Caleb Smith on there. There's got some film in there as well. So you're going to check out that also. So uh, for my guy, Sean, Vince D'Addario, um, Brian, you are the IB Nation, the people that we love and that make this thing go. Thank you all so very much. Have a great rest of your day. And we will talk to you, rest of your night, I guess. And we'll talk to you very soon on the Irish Breakdown Podcast.